Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's A Disciple's Point of View. We're about halfway through-ish uh, of our topical study about the end is near. Basically, that the time of the book of Re Revelation is about to come to pass, and we're doing a topical study about that if this is the very first one you've listened to. Uh, we're going to jump right into it, as I typically tend to do, and we're going to go over the seal judgments today. Okay, So there are a series of three judgments in the book of Revelation. First, there's the seal judgments that Jesus himself opens and unleashes upon the world. Secondly, there's the trumpet judgments with the seventh seal judgment gives way to. And then there are seven bowl judgments that the seventh trumpet gives way to. So we're going to go over just simply what the seal judgments are today. And I think it's very important that a lot of people understand that it is Jesus himself that opens these up and unleashes these upon the earth. Basically, in Revelation chapter 5, there is a particular scroll, or I should say there is a scene up in heaven, where there is in the right hand of him who sits on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And in verse 2 of chapter 5, it says, Then I saw an, a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And nobody in heaven was able to come forward and say, I'm worthy. The reason being is because everybody in heaven up to that point, and I believe that the church has already been raptured at this point. The church is standing before the throne of God and worshiping God. And everybody is like, I'm not worthy. I had to be redeemed. And even John is sitting there weeping because no one, was worthy and found or found worthy to be able to open the scroll. And in verse four it says, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open or read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. So we have to sit here and consider folks. The seal judgments aren't man's wrath. It's not Satan's wrath merely. Are there elements of that within each judgment? Absolutely. I believe the fifth seal judgment is in response to the first four because humankind and Satan and the angels, they or the fallen angels, I should say, are just wrathful that God is now loosening his judgment upon the world, even though in some ways it is giving them what they've always wanted. And I'll explain that here in just a few moments. But basically, in the fifth seal judgment, Basically, there is a mass persecution and execution of any Christians that are found alive unto that point, right? But in, then in response, we have the sixth seal judgment. But I don't want to get ahead of myself here, so I'm going to go chronologically in the order of all the judgments that occur. But I can't emphasize enough, Jesus is the one who opens the seal judgments and loosens them upon the earth. Secondly, too, I believe, and having studied this before and having done this for a series I did a year and a half ago called Tumultuous Times, the seal judgments in some ways, I believe, are an abandonment judgments. And where I get that idea from is in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Basically, that people who give up on God and decide, I want no part of God, I want nothing to do with God, 
God gives them over that to which they want the most. And you can go back to that passage in Romans that I described, and you can see that. And I believe that these seal judgments are an unloosening, just like you would loosen a seal on an ancient scroll to see what was written inside of it. God is loosening mankind against itself. Okay. And in John chapter five, Jesus talks about how he came in his father's name and they rejected him. But one will come in his own name and you will accept him well enough. Right. And I believe that was a kind of a prophecy about the coming Antichrist, the one who will come in place of anti being in place of. Right. So. This is going to be a false Christ. This is going to be one who is not truly the Christ, but the one whom so many, including so many in Israel, will accept as the real Messiah. They're going to say Messiah has finally come, and they're going to embrace the one who has actually come in place of the true Messiah. So, okay, so let's go ahead and get into it. And basically, this is a First, in a series of three judgments, like I've already talked about, okay? And that Jesus is the one who is loosening these. So let's talk about the very first seal that's open, okay? So we'll go to Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now I saw the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Who is this? So already he's on a white horse that usually is symbolic of victorious, one who is given to conquer and to conquer, one who is successful in what they do. He has a crown, meaning that he is given authority. He has a bow, but no uh, arrows are mentioned, meaning that he has power, but he doesn't have to use them, and he goes forth conquering and to conquer. I believe, and many commentators believe, that this is the Antichrist, okay? This is the one who will come in place of Christ. This is the one who will come in his own name, and the Israelites, unfortunately, will wholly, for the most part, re uh, receive him as Messiah. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2 that the day of the Lord could not begin until this man was revealed. And in Daniel 9, verse 27, this is the one who makes a strong covenant with many for the final and outstanding seven, meaning that there is a period of seven years that this individual will confirm a strong covenant with many and will start the events of the book of Revelation. However, in the middle of this seven, there is also one who violates that same covenant and proclaims himself to be God, according to the passage, not only in Daniel, but in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, and also what Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 16. Okay, So basically, again, God is giving the world over to that which they've wanted most, and that is a life without God, and they're going to reap the so-called benefits of it as we're going to seal when the second seal is open in revelation 6 verse 3 it says when he opened the second seal i heard the second living creature say come and see another horse fiery red went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another and there was given a great sword this begs a question too how could peace be taken away 
right? Um, the scriptures also say in the New Testament that when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come. And I believe in a lot of ways, it very well could be this very seal judgment that the scripture was talking about. So this is the idea of general war breaking out all across the earth. Okay, and other, translation, other translations rather point to that men were given to kill one another, right? And actually it says right here that people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword, right? So it's this idea that basically... Uh, where uh, whatever peace the Antichrist has promised will end up in death. See also 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3. Peace and safety are always the two key words that will surround what he promises, but he won't be able to deliver. That begs the question, folks, what words, what buzzwords are we seeing constantly in the news, especially like with the World Economic Forum and the United Nations? Peace and security would... Safety and security almost be synonymous. I think to some degree you could definitely make that argument. So I think it's quite interesting that the scriptures talk about whenever they're saying peace and safety, sudden destruction comes, and our current leaders in our current world, you can Google that if you wish, are already talking about peace and safety, how they're doing X, Y, and Z to secure peace and safety. So let's go on to the third seal judgment, and that is found in Revelation chapter 5 and 6 of chapter 6, um, or I'm sorry, in verse 5 and 6 of Revelation chapter 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold a black horse, and he who sat on it uh, had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Okay, so this is, uh, this is gonna get bad folks. So as with any large scale war, famine will break out. The supply chain will be absolutely disrupted as people are, you know, well, I mean, truck drivers getting murdered, people getting uh, ships getting destroyed, um, just the 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 fog of war uh, in general, just creating mass pandemonium and whatnot. It says even a quart of wheat in verse six is usually how much food a person needs in a day to sustain them, and a denarius is generally thought of as a day's working wage. So a person's going to end up having to work all day just for food for that day. Barley was a menial food that wasn't very nutritious, but could keep people alive. So, I mean, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, just something to put into your belly just to keep it full and people are having to work a whole day just to feed their family on that. Now, the oil and wine mentioned were bare staples. Oil was used to make bread and I'm sorry, oil was used to make bread and wine was used for cooking and water purification. So in this sense, you could look at it as even within the midst of judgment, God is still providing. And especially for Israel, God is still providing for Israel because this is the time of Jacob's trouble. See, also, I believe it's Jeremiah 30, verse 4. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's the verse. It is in the book of Jeremiah. So basically, this is God turning back to Israel to drive Israel to repentance. Even though he is turning them over to a false Messiah, they will soon see the uh, and receive the true, actual Messiah. Okay? So in the fourth seal judgment, starting in verse seven, it says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse and the name of he who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him and power was given them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger, with death 
and by the beasts of the earth. Okay, if we didn't think it could go bad, we we're given a false messiah. We think the peace has come. We're all of a sudden world war just absolutely starts breaking out in general. People just start killing each other. And then there is a severe famine that just sweeps over the earth. Now folks are just going to start dying in mass. And with any large scale war or famine, death is obviously not too far behind. This is where it's like, you know, I really started getting hit hard whenever I was studying this for this podcast, a quarter of the earth dies during this. So let's think about this for a second. The second and third seal judgments are likely going to see quite a bit of death with it. And you will see there are at least two that I can think of where God gives us a number of people killed during that particular kind of judgment, right? So there are around 8 billion people on the earth today as of this recording. Now, with the second and third seal judgment that comes, whenever general war breaks out and people start killing each other, obviously death is going to occur. Whenever, whenever famine comes in the third seal judgment, people obviously die of fam uh, famine and of general hunger, right? So there will be people that will die from that. But here, God tells us that a quarter of the earth will be killed. Okay, So even if we're just accounting for 8 billion, a quarter of that, that is 2 billion people that die in this judgment alone. That would be like the populations of modern-day India and China just dying. Okay, This is not a time you want to live through. This is a horrific time period. This is a time that will be unequaled and unparalleled. If you thought World War I was bad, if you thought World War II was bad, they were nothing in comparison to what is coming. Get into the boat, so to speak, people. Believe in Jesus Christ now and be saved. Okay. Within this fourth seal judgment, wild animals also start turning on them and killing them as well. And this variable could be because the food chain is absolutely and completely disrupted. It obviously also is a natural, uh, or I shouldn't say natural, but a supernatural loosening of the fear that fell upon the animals in Genesis chapter 9. Whenever humans would approach, animals would flee because God gave them over to humankind for food in Genesis chapter 9. And now the roles are reversing. I, I believe in this case that God is giving people over to the animals for food in judgment, okay? And if, if, if you're thinking in your mind and in your heart right now about how could God do this? How could a loving God do this? Well, the first thing you have to consider is I believe at that point you are looking at God erroneously. We are not one-dimensional creatures, right? Meaning that I am not simply a person of whatever, love. I am not a person who likes music. I am not just merely a person who likes movies. I am not merely a person who likes sweet tea, right? I am a multi-dimensional creature and it is complicated, right? How much more then is God, if I am made in the image of God, if we are made in the image of God, how much more is God multi-dimensional? Meaning he is not merely a God of love. He is also a God of wrath and judgment because of the sin that has been so prevalent for thousands of years. And that 2,000 years ago, God gave his only begotten son that whomsoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we as the world, by and large, for 2,000 years, have spit in God's face. And 
over the last 150 years have now come up with a belief system that says he doesn't even exist. How would you respond to a creation that did that to you? I think we would have been a lot less gracious than God has been with us. We might have lasted five minutes and then just wiped it out, right? Just wiped the slate clean and said, you know what? I'm done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start afresh. And if you say that you wouldn't, I have a strange feeling that you're not being very truthful with yourself. God is not one-dimensional. He is multi-dimensional. As a matter of fact, it was God's love that sent Jesus to the cross that did give us a way out. He could have just simply said, you either keep my law or you die, right? And that could have been that. But he sent Jesus to die on the cross and also raised him from the dead, securing a way of salvation. In the midst of his wrath and judgment, there is tremendous love. Again, the multidimensional as aspects of God. So don't think that, you know, it's like, how could a God of love do this? You're thinking of God too shallowly. And in that sense, you would be thinking of people too shallowly. People want revenge. How much more then would God want to avenge his own name that had been maligned for thousands of years? Going back to our study, in the fifth seal judgment in Revelation 6, verse 9, um, this is basically, I think, where people start going haywire on the people of God. So it's like, you know, some people who say that this isn't the wrath of God, this is the wrath of man and Satan, point to the fifth seal judgment and say, there's no way this is the wrath of God. You're telling me the wrath of God kills his own people? I think what this is, is again, these are abandonment judgments. This is God giving man over to that which they've always wanted. So the people who do turn to God during this time period, because there will be three instances within the book of Revelation where the gospel is preached. God never leaves himself without a witness, as I said in previous podcasts. So there's the two witnesses that start out who's killed by the Antichrist halfway through the tribulation. And then after the seal judgments are over, 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are males and virgins will be sealed and will go forth spreading the gospel. And the reason why I believe that in Revelation chapter 7 is when they're sealed, the next thing we see is a multitude standing in front of the throne of God that no one can count. And I halfway believe that it is, sorry, that was a notification on my phone. I'm going to silence that right now. Um, you see basically um, a whole bunch of people are killed in the fifth seal judgment that are believers in Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to read it. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony in which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Okay, So some people are like, well, you're, you're telling me that's the wrath of God? Again, abandonment judgments are wrath. It is wrath. If you read through Revel or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, it absolutely is the wrath of God. It even says the wrath of God is being revealed, etc., etc., etc. Going to the sixth seal judgment, 
uh, in Revelation 6, verses 12 through 17. I believe that this is in response to uh, the world martyring his people and killing them in mass. Okay, starting in verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the day of his great wrath has come and who is able to stand. So I think I called the seal judgments, abandonment judgments until this one, because I believe that this is God's response to the mass execution of his people. And he is now turning the tide. He is now going to intervene. He is now going to personally start dropping his wrath. So they are not abandonment judgments. They are direct judgments. Okay. There's an earthquake so massive that all the mountains and islands disappear. The sun stops giving its light. The moon turns red like blood. The stalls far, I'm sorry, fall from the sky like a fruit from a tree. And everyone hides in the rocks and they're like, I know, hide us from the one who sits on the throne and from the lamb. This is not Satan's wrath. This is God's wrath. Absolutely, 100%, ipso facto. You cannot get around that. It even says as much. Everybody recognizes this is a wrath of God when this occurs. So it's like, you know, okay, I believe that this is God shifting around the tectonic plates to the degree that the volcanism all of the volcanoes on the planet start erupting. Yellowstone may even erupt. The super volcanoes go haywire, start ejecting ash into the uh, atmosphere, which turns the sky black as sackcloth and in some ways would probably make the moon turn red like blood. We've seen that before with, with, uh, with certain things. Whenever you start messing with things in the atmosphere, the moon then becomes discolored. And then especially like if you have stuff that is thrown up into the atmosphere and then comes back down, right? Bits of earth go flying up into the air from the volcanoes erupting and which has been severely disrupted because of the earthquakes that are going on or the earthquake in general, that it looks like the stars are falling from the sky and everybody is crying out, basically hide us from him who sits on the throne and from the lamb. I think it's quite interesting that I've seen quite a bit of videos of basically where the rich and the powerful are uh, building their doomsday um, um, habitations are in mountainsides and in old missile silos and all this and that. It's almost like it is absolutely bringing this scripture to light and to fruition. Okay. And I don't sit here and sound happy because of all that is going on. I just think it's quite interesting how much of the word of God is coming to the point where it could come to fruition at any moment, especially the push for worldwide socialism and worldwide worldwide authoritarianism. Somebody come along and solve all the problems, especially the World Economic Forum is on is on the uh, forefront of wanting this to occur. I saw a video where basically the UN is wanting to create a worldwide digital ID in fulfillment of Revelation 13. This is all quite fascinating, I guess I should say. It's not that I'm rejoicing in seeing this time come at all. I am just, just you know, in some ways I'm a believer, 
but it's like, you know, obviously we've been waiting for a while. So when we start seeing these things happening, it's like, whoa, this is actually starting to happen. And it's kind of like it makes you sit up and take notice kind of thing. That's why, if, if anything, I'm not trying to sound joyful about it. I'm just simply, you know, um, quite fascinated and in some ways joyful that the word of God is indeed coming to pass. Now we, we have the seventh seal judgment that is talked about in Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. And it says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. This is significant, folks, because whenever you see the uh, scenes in heaven, there's always, 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 always worship going on. We see now silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I think John and God wanted this to really be underscored because... Basically, the seal judgments were like a shock and awe kind of moment. It's like, whoa, oh my gosh. Even just reading it, I'm compelled to tell you to, re to receive Jesus Christ now. Get into the ark now before the floodwaters, so to speak, come. Because it is going to be a time that is unparalleled. Jesus said, there is going to be a time of tribulation that has never been nor shall be. And if those days were not shortened, no flesh would be saved. It would be all wiped out. And I think at one point in Revelation 14, we have an angel who preaches the everlasting gospel. Why? Because all the Christians are getting killed in mass. And not only that, but people are dying in mass. It is going to be an absolutely horrific time. And I can't emphasize enough how you must receive Jesus Christ in order to escape this time frame. If, if you heard my podcast last week, you know why I say that. I believe that the the rapture of the church, which are the ones who currently are those who believe in Jesus Christ, whether they be Jew or Gentile, whether they be non-Jewish or Jewish, right? That they will be taken out of the way before the, before the wrath of God falls because of everything that I said last week. I won't go into it this week, okay? Please receive Jesus Christ now and be saved, okay? Um, going back to verse 2, and it says, and I saw the seventh I'm sorry, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayer of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. There already was one earthquake. There's going to be yet another one, okay? And that basically gives way for the trumpet judgments, okay? So that's going to end our study for this week. And I just can't really emphasize enough how bad this time period is going to be. And we're just getting started. This is the opening salvos of the judgment of God to fall upon the earth. There are two more series of judgments coming after this that are far worse. I came up with a saying, um, and I'm sure somebody at some point has said it at some point in the last 2,000 years in, in the history of the church. After I finished studying all of the book of Revelation and the parts of prophetic scripture that talks about the day of the Lord or the great tribulation, and the tribulation as many Christians refer to it as, all the horror movies and all of the world combined will not compare at all to the horrors to be unleashed during this time period. 
you watch your worst horror movie you've ever watched in all your life that has kept you awake for nights in a row, that is nothing compared to what's coming in the day of the Lord. Get into the boat, people, so to speak. Get into the life raft, raft before the wrath of God falls. The wrath of God is nothing to, to play around with. It's nothing to, to take a chance with. It is something that is to be escaped. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 21, watch and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape the things that are to come. There is a way out. And that is, in the next segment that I'm going to talk about here in just a few seconds, is the way out. That is how you escape. Stay tuned in just a few seconds. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart. By simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life, and I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do, and your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God, and you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.